You coming to bed, hon? Yep, honey, I'll be right there. Just gotta turn out the light. Ow! Ow! Some things never change, like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on, and Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. P- please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. You coming to bed, hon? Yep, honey, I'll be right there. Just got to turn out the light. Ow! Ow! Some things never change, like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. Please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Hey everybody, we want to welcome you to the first official episode of the ARS 45 podcast uh, that is for the anime rest stop i'm here with the founding father chris you are hearing myself I go by the name of l and we have a very special guest uh joining us today for our very first episode uh he is the author of the best saturdays of our lives he is also the senior programming manager operations uh, manager oh gosh that's a tongue twister <laughs> over at adult swim and I just look forward to y'all actually getting to hear this man speak. He wrote a very awesome book. His knowledge is very extensive. So if you grew up on Saturday morning cartoons and for all of you saying, well, we're talking about anime. No, we're talking about everything today. All right. So uh, you definitely want to go ahead, grab your, your favorite beverage, get your breakfast on. You're going to love this episode. And I can't wait to introduce this gentleman that we have with us, Mr. Mark McCray. How are you today, sir? Hi. Hi. Thanks for helping me on the help. Thanks for inviting me to be on the show. Um, I'm so happy to be here um, and looking forward to talking about cartoons and comic books as well as my book, The Best Saturdays of Our Lives. Awesome. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you on on the air. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, so, Mark, you want to go ahead and just give us a little bit of uh, your background for the uh, audience? Oh, yeah, sure. So, um I am uh, the Senior Operations Programming Manager um, at Adult Swim, and it is my job to oversee all of Adult Swim's promo and packaging strategy uh, for linear as well as non-linear, working with programming and on-air to um, make sure everything looks good, uh, keeping the schedule on time, making sure that Adult Swim doesn't bleed into Cartoon Network because there's an FCC rule. Um, that cart- that adult swim cannot bleed into uh, Cartoon Network, and so just making sure all the checks and balances are there. Um, and a lot of times, my job involves, you know, uh, problem solving. Um, like say for Saturday night, uh, if someone wants to air a three-minute music video, which of course that's going to throw the schedule um, off the clock, and so I have to work with the programming folks as well as the sales folks to make sure that that's okay. Um, and in addition to my duties at Adult Swim, I'm also the author of The Best Saturdays of Our Lives, awesome which book. is a book that chronicles um, how Saturday morning became a competitive business from the Big Bang of the 1966 Saturday morning rating hit Superman all the way to the early 1990 digital hits, which include X-Men and Power Rangers. Mm-hmm. Very classic, uh, classic shows. Iconic shows, in fact. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I remember when Power Rangers uh, first started airing, and I just had this face, like, "What is this?" No, a lot of people had that face. What is this? But uh, of course, uh, you know, people didn't realize that. Um, essentially, with Power Rangers, uh, it was uh, originally based in uh, Japan as uh, Super Sentai Zoo Ranger. Um, and certainly enough, um, certainly enough, Mark, uh, dealing with uh, the industry for as long as you have, I, I imagine uh, you have encountered so many amazing things and worked with so many people. For Power Rangers' sake and for the fans listening for Super Sentai, uh, what was that experience like, uh, just even encountering it, just seeing it around in the spectrum? Well, I think Power Rangers was one of those... Um Saturday morning shows that sort of hit at the right time. Um, 
Let me give you a little quick background. And so the show aired on the Fox Kids Network. And, you know, like Fox as a network um, was a late entry into um, the broadcast space. You know, you had the big three, CBS, ABC, and NBC. And then Fox came along and they started to air shows like Mary Bertilligren and, and The Simpsons. Right. And they were offering really good alternative programming that the big three networks were, were not offering. Uh, so uh, the network started to take off and then they decided to invade the kids space. And uh, the person who ran uh, Fox Kids was a lady named uh, Margaret Less, who actually um, has a long tenure in Saturday morning programming. She worked at Hanna-Barbera for many years and she was also um, head of Marvel, the first Marvel animated studio. Uh, back in the day. And so when she got the the job over at Fox, you know, the first order of business was, of course, to order an X-Men series. But she also partnered with um, uh, with Saban and uh, they brought in the Power Rangers. And the Power Rangers was really cool because it was like one of these unexpected, huge hits mm-hmm. and that no one didn't understand or could see what was happening at the time. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, the show really blew up. It was very popular. A lot of adults, like myself, was watching. Um, And there was a villain named uh, Rita Repulsa, who was uh, a dub, her voice was dubbed by an actress named Barbara Goodson. And Rita was pretty campy and chewed up the scenery like crazy. And the show just became... Uh, just a ratings juggernaut and an overnight sensation. And um, the toys were selling out. Oh, I mean, <laughs> that that's a whole nother story in itself. It was also a live action um, Power Rangers show that was touring the country after a while. You know, similar to what Disney does now with its characters, you know, like Disney on Ice. They had a Power Rangers live show. And uh, I remember taking my son to see that, and he was just so pleasantly surprised and happy. So it was an unexpected big hit. And the first year, you know, was original episodes from Japan, and then, like, seasons two and three and Mm -hmm. and the remaining seasons, you know, those were original um, productions that were done by the American Saban Company. Mm -hmm. And they sort of changed up the storyline. They brought in the the Green Ranger, and that character was... um, very popular and there was a, a Green Ranger story arc. Um, so it was like a, a very big thing. And for a while, um, I actually thought that Power Rangers was, you know, number one, you know, out outrunning, you know, the X-Men series. But uh, that's one of the things I do mention in my book that I found out after the fact that it was actually the X-Men series that was number one. But because Power Rangers was generating so much heat, Everywhere, toy sales, live yeah. shows, ratings—I just assumed that uh, that was the number one series. Yeah, and you know, it would have—it definitely. I'm with you because um, that happens with a lot of uh, shows. It's like when we start seeing them here on TV. You know, you get that spike that just hits the popularity. I remember um, that whole wave with Power Rangers, and my God, brother being such a fan that I found myself on every Black Friday for the next couple of years finding him whatever toy he just released and then some. Right. And, um, right. you know, that show even, and you you, uh, you hit it right on the head because uh, Power Rangers really was a surprise. When I started watching it, the first, the first day it was like, okay, what is this? But then I got gripped by the story, so I kept watching it. So for me, as a teenager, it started out like, okay, what's this train wreck? Okay, I like a train wreck. I'm gonna keep watching. Then it became, <laughs> then it became this thing that I constantly watch. Before I knew it, I was this, I was a fan. You asked me like, you like Power Rangers? Nah, man. Oh, oh nah, nah. But then Saturday yeah. morning, you see me watching it. Like I thought you wasn't a fan. Well, it's got a good story. Right. <laughs> I want to see what happens hey, to him. <laughs> I still got some of my uh, kids' Power Rangers action figures from uh, uh, back in the day. You know what I mean? And um, one of them has like this head that can swivel, 
you know, so it's the real, you know, shows the face of the real Power Ranger, and then it swivels again, and then it shows the Power Ranger with his mask on. Oh, yeah. And uh, um, so it was, it was, uh, it was a pretty big deal. It was yeah. a pretty big deal. But what, but what made Power Rangers so great was that it was an unexpected big hit, mm-hmm. you know, because there had been other shows similar to Power Rangers that aired in the U.S. I mean, some of the programming, you know. Uh, was syndicated. Um, mm. Ultraman uh, comes to mind. Um, so here's the thing about Ultraman: um, it didn't air in the New York area where I grew up, oh. but I had relatives in South Carolina. My grandmother lived in South Carolina, and I turned on the TV one day, and there was Ultraman. And I was saying to myself, "Man, how come we don't get this in New York?" You know. So I think. The Power Rangers is one of those shows that because it actually aired in a Saturday morning block, Mm -hmm. because shows like that didn't typically air on Saturday morning, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and the timing was also right for a show like that to make its presence known. um, It just kind of benefited about being a show like Power Rangers, you know, premiering, you know, on the right network at the right time during the right era where Mm -hmm. kids actually wanted to... um, uh, see something like that type of entertainment. Yeah, and you know what? And, and, and thinking about it, yeah, because that was live. Because uh, everything else, you know, was going to be animated, so that was definitely uh, a different take than what we would normally see. Um, right. Uh, so going to your point too with the uh, the X Men, because I was a huge fan of the X Men cartoon as well as Spider Man. Um, so. <laughs> Watching that, watching those two shows every weekend, and then you also had the Power Rangers, you know, and that was a nice little leap, you know. So um, I remember seeing Power Rangers, and then later um, during the week, uh, being home from um, school, like it was one of those um, no faculty days. I saw, I think it was a VR Troopers. It was something like that. Yes. I, I think that, oh, yeah. 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 And I remember watching, I was like, okay, what's this? Now, I had already got indoctrinated really into Power Rangers. Like, my consciously, I accepted Power Rangers and I was watching it. So it was like the hate was gone. Right. <laughs> um, and VR Troopers, I was like, well, this is different. Okay, it's, it's like like Power Rangers. But, you know, um, we started seeing that where they were like, well, you know what? This type of show is working. So other networks are thinking, well, what can we do? Um, which is a really right. um, great point in your book, uh, especially when we talk about um, the music era. You know, how that all got started. So from, you know, Archie, you had the, was the Josie the Pussycats. Yes. And then you started seeing different shows because at that time, um, things were changing around and the programming style was changing. So we were seeing different things. And you go into uh, real depth about that, um, which opened my eyes. Because I remember being a kid, and I was like, wait a minute, they're, they're singing, dancing. Where's, where, where, what's, what's happening here? You know, what's, what's going on? Where's my, where's my super friends? <laughs> you know, so, you know um, and I remember that, that also setting the president, um, you know, for like my cousin, you know, because she wasn't really into uh, cartoons like that as much. Or at least if I was watching G.I. Joe, she didn't care one iota about it. Uh, she did care about Voltron. See, that's when we started getting right. along. Oh, yeah. She cared about Voltron. Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but, uh, Mark, if you could talk a little bit about that, because uh, with Power Rangers, uh, we did start seeing other shows that kind of tried to mimic. Um, and I think that's something that is uh, really important to understand in your book is how other networks were paying attention. And that competition, was it was, a th- it was definitely a thing. You know, if it was good for the right. goose, they were figuring it may be good for the gander, so let's try it. Right. Yeah, so... Um yeah, so that happens. That's just a natural phenomenon. Um, when there is a breakout hit on any network, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to see the competition try to mimic whatever that breakout is. And so, you know, when Superman became a huge hit in 1966, mm-hmm. the next thing you know, you had um, the Marvel superhero show up the following year, the mm-hmm. first Spider-Man series, the first Fantastic Four series, and... Um, which was a smart move on ABC's part to, you know, bring in Marvel since the DC shows were actually, you know, getting huge ratings on CBS, the rival network. And then in the seventies, you had, you know, the Archies that became a a big hit as well. It started outpacing the superhero series and set shows like Superman 
and Spider-Man packing their bags off a Saturday morning, and that opened up the door for Scooby-Doo and Joaquin and Pussycat mm-hmm. and the Jackson 5 to come in. And in the 90s, you know, when Power Rangers uh, came back, you know, you had similar shows. Um, uh, you had mentioned... Um, VR Troopers. Mm-hmm. Well, VR Troopers was was produced by the same company that produced Power Rangers, oh, okay. and it was an easy sale to the network because it was something similar. Oh. But you know, with VR, you know, it was it was actually them fighting villains in the you know the virtual reality universe, mm-hmm. and um, the show was not as successful. But yeah. you know, um, in order for Fox to sort of keep its uh, dominance. Right. On Saturday morning, of course, they needed like more shows like Power Rangers, even if it was going to be, you know, somewhat of a watered down version. And right. um, so it's just natural for um, it's just natural for networks to do that. Even in, even in primetime television, um, you still see things like that going on. Like USA Network had a show called Psych, which was about the fake psychic who would, you know, with a sidekick go and 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 solve crimes but and he told everybody he was a psychic but what he was doing he was checking out the room and putting all the clues together mm-hmm. and then uh cbs did a version of psych called the mentalist which was pretty much the same present the, the same um premise mm-hmm. but with the mentalist, you know, he had um, everyone dressed nicer and he had a beautiful office mm-hmm. and he had a British accent. And um, it, it was a show that fit the CBS brand versus the USA branding, which was, you know, not a serious and funny. So networks still do that all the time. Mm-hmm. They will they will want to capitalize on what's ever hot and smart programming executives. You know, like there's that term, follow the money. Mm-hmm. There's also a term in television, whether it's, you know, broadcast, cable, streaming, OTT service, over-the-top service like Netflix, mm-hmm. where you follow the trend, okay? Mm-hmm. And if you follow the trend, more than likely your network will get really good ratings. And there's nothing wrong with not following the, tw- the trend, you know, in terms of trying to create something new that might you know, create that mm-hmm. next big uh, programming trend. But in the meantime, you have to serve up what people want to see. Mm-hmm. And it, whether it's a watered down version of the, whatever that hit show was or something similar. So, um, but that's, that's, you know, television and history have a way of repeating itself. So it's not so unusual that when something becomes a hit show, um, you know, everyone wants to duplicate that success. Understood. Yeah, and you're you're right. We we definitely see that, especially uh, with streaming. Uh, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, I definitely uh, would like to ask you um, a bit about streaming and what you, your opinion on that now, because we're seeing that that competition like heavy now. It's it's oh, yeah. it's, it's it's definitely a heavyweight uh, heavyweight type of affair with streaming. It's a mass war. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it oh, is. Sure. It yeah. is. Disney with okay. Disney entering the fray too. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's getting pretty heated. Uh, but folks, we are going to take a break, and we will okay. be back uh, with more awesomeness here with Mister McCray again. His book, "The Best Saturdays of Our Lives." You definitely want to check that book out. You can find it on Amazon. It is a great read. I encourage you to check it out for yourselves. And uh, when we come back, we're going to get more into it. All right, sounds good. Cool. You're listening to an official Anime Rest Stop podcast. Please like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And as always, if you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating. We appreciate you. All right, folks, we are back. We are back, and uh, we're here for the uh, second half. Well, it's not even the second half. It's technology, folks, so we take breaks, but you know what? We're working with what we got. Uh, but starting off, uh, Mark, where can folks find your book? Because I know this is Amazon, but uh, you have a website, right? Yeah, that's correct. So if someone wants to order a signed copy of my book, uh, they can go to my website, which is uh, you can find it two ways, thebestsaturdaysofourlives.com or 
tbsool.com, which is the initials of my book. And you can go to the website and put in your order and you will get a personalized signed copy of the best Saturdays of our lives. Nice. Excellent. And you know what what we'll do to, we'll actually also put that in the description for the podcast as well. So people can copy and paste the link as well. So there'll be ways for everybody to find it. Also on our Facebook page, we'll be sure to share it as well. Oh, of course. Uh, You know, so make sure everybody's able to to find it uh, because honestly, it's a really great book. Uh, I was telling uh, telling you, Mark. Yeah, I think it's really one of the best reads of the year for me. Honestly, I've just been enjoying it. That has been taking up my Saturday, my weekly train rides. Literally, like I go ahead, get on the train, <laughs> I pull out the book. It's great. I actually had a um, had an older gentleman. He looked at. It, he's like, "Can I take a picture of the cover?" I was like, "Yeah, yeah, go for it." <laughs> yeah, because you know, um, I was I was joking with a friend of mine. I said, "You know, the the Jetsons." You know, they lied to us, and they had conveyor belts. You know, you could just wake up, and it's a whole conveyor belt, and it just allows you to go through the bathroom. It does everything for you. It puts you in your car, and you just go to work, you know. And then we happened to look and said, well, when it takes place, it's 20, I think it was 2028 when the Jetsons actually are taking place. Like, that's the year. I want to say it's 2000. I want to say it's, it's the 2000s, 2000s yeah. actually. I, it's, it's, it's I thought it was the 21st century, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe yeah. I'm wrong. Well, they, well, it was funny because we looked at it and it was, um, if you go, go by Google, um, it's uh, 2028, I think around that, that realm. And, oh, but you, okay. but you know when they at the time, uh, just like with Back to the Future, you know they were like, oh, we should have hoverboards, but everybody was looking at the two thousands, you know, differently, you know. Um, right. So I, I think that's what that was about. You know, it was just that weird way. It's like, well, here we are in the two thousands. I don't have my hoverboard, and I don't have a conveyor belt, and my that's to take me from the bedroom to the bathroom. I have to actually walk, and that's not fair. <laughs> to your job and to other places. Yeah, yeah. yeah don't have don't have that convenience. You're almost there. We have uh, we have Uber. Yeah, it's getting there. We have drones. It's getting there. It's it's a work in progress. You know, you know that was the the the, the cool part about um, watching Saturday morning cartoons, and you see all the cool stuff they're doing. I think the only thing that you definitely couldn't get me on, if you know Tesla came out right now and said, "Well, we know how to make a more energy efficient car," and then he come out with the power wheels, but you gotta use your feet like you know Flint Flintstone. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I can see that now. Well, the shoe market would be different because Timberland would capitalize. That would be the <laughs> – they'd be like, well, we, listen, oh. we, <laughs> we got books. We got boots for you. <laughs> so you, you got to power your car with your feet? We got boots. You only oh, go- my <laughs> oh, my God. You're only, you only going to pay well, 1000 for them. <laughs> but speaking, speaking of the future, though, I, I do have a question, actually, for, uh-huh. for Mark. Um, speaking of the future, things that have future premises – um, we had talked about, uh, before the break, we had talked about Power Rangers and its, um, exposure, um, particularly looking at, um, at anime and where anime has gone. And you talk about this in your book. Um, there's a lot of stuff that talked about the future, um, back in the fifties. You have stuff like Astro Boy that talked about the future, you had stuff like uh, Testogen 28, which uh, when it came over here, it was Gigantor. Uh, what was that like, dealing with that spec, just seeing this stuff around and the people involved in um, the early spectrum of you know, what would ultimately become uh, fandom today for anime? Yeah, well, um, you know, first... Um, <clears throat> You know, Fred Ladd, um, he is the guy that is considered the grandfather of anime. Um, you know, even though television had been around, you know, from the, you know, 50s and early 60s, there was, a, it wasn't exactly, there wasn't exactly a lot of global things happening um, on the television front. And I feel like Fred Ladd, by bringing over the first anime cartoons, he was able to um, bring to an audience that was being underserved. And it was a smart business move because no one in the U.S. at least had ever seen anything 
that was like anime and what made these early shows like Astro Boy and Gigantor huge hits was the fact that the storylines took place in the future. And so that just made the stories a lot more fantastic and inspirational. And it, it captured the imagination of what that future could be like, plus providing, you know, great story with a lot of uh, action and characters that kids actually um, liked and, and wanted, to, wanted to aspire to be. Mm-hmm. And I just think that uh, from a Japanese cultural standpoint, I believe that from a competition standpoint as well, in order to, for their cartoons to be successful, it couldn't be about just a regular mundane. You know, it couldn't mm-hmm. be a show that actually took place in the present. You know, it had to be futuristic and interesting and inspiring. And I just remember watching some of these shows as a kid. I just wanted to be a part of those worlds where, you know, like in the first episode of Astro Boy, for example, I mean, you know, there are self-driving cars and, you know, there are self-driving cars right now. I personally wouldn't get in one until all the testing has been done. <laughs> but Absolutely. just the fact that uh, the technology is there, I just think it's it's just pretty awesome. And so I, I feel like a lot of the anime, the early anime cartoons, you know, even a show like Speed Racer, which is like one of the, the I mean, camera-wise, I think, Shot, by, shot for Shot is like one of the, the most beautifully shot animated early anime series. You know, it takes place in the modern era, but the technology that's featured in Speed Racer gives you the sense that even in his world, it could be, it it probably is taking place, you know, beyond the present timeline. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just think that it was just a really smart way to make anime programming stand apart from whatever the Americans or the Europeans were doing animation-wise and also be able to, to pull viewers in. And that, of course you know, was able to build on a really awesome um, fan base. And so by the time you get to the 80s and 90s, you know, anime is is sort of over the top and, and it has even bigger fans. And now, you know, anime has become like this huge global programming content phenomenon. Mm-hmm. But I just think that because in Japan... From a cultural standpoint, you know, Japanese animators were just always thinking out of the box and also thinking about how they can make their content different from everybody else's, as well as pull in viewers to watch. Yeah, absolutely. That, um, excuse me, that is, um, you know, what wrote me in. I remember waking up six, this is about six, six thirty a.m. in the morning. Turning on the television and I see Dragon Ball, and I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, you know what's this? And mind you, it was already a couple minutes into the show, but it was different. It was different. Right. I recall doing the same thing, but with uh, Sailor Moon. You know, Sailor Moon right. was in early syndication. So you know what the the weird I, thing about that? I saw Sailor Moon first before Dragon Ball. Didn't think anything of it. It was like, okay, what's this? Okay, I got time before I gotta get to school. You know, and I'm watching Sailor Moon, but Dragon Ball was the the one that caught me in, though. Like, okay, wait a minute, what's happening? I did question Sailor Moon, yeah. but I'll never forget, we had a snowstorm the day that they were showing, like, the very last episode, like, the climax. So we had this snowstorm, so school was canceled, so I was hype. <laughs> because I always had to leave, like, shortly after. So I only caught, like, a little right. bit of it each time. Yeah, yeah, I love Sailor Moon. I thought it was such a great series. And Fred Ladd, who I mentioned earlier, he was brought in as a consultant uh, to work on the uh, American version of Sailor Moon with with Deke Enterprises, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And 
it, you know, of course, that show did. You know, it was a lot of freaking editing that had to go oh, on yeah. Sailor Moon for American audiences. But I thought it was, you know, it had the right balance of action and comedy. You know, mm-hmm. Sailor Moon, especially those early episodes, she was learning how to be a, a superheroine, and and she would often mess up. I remember, I think episode three, Luna the cat is, you know, trying to help her fight through a battle. And then the cat kind of rolls her eyes and says, oh, my God, now she's backed herself into a corner while yeah. she's fighting the villain. <laughs> and it was so funny. It was so funny mm-hmm. how goofy and bad Sailor Moon was, but you loved her for that, yeah. you know? And uh, you, you mentioned Dragon Ball. Um, I really love that show as well. I think um, one of there is a Dragon Ball <laughs> Z episode where... The episode made me cry at the end. It's the one episode where Gohan is fighting, not Cell. Maybe it is Cell. It's the green villain. Um, sounds, um, like, sounds like Cell. I can't think of it. Sounds like Cell. Yeah, maybe it is Cell. He has a tail. Cell. Cell. Yeah. Yeah. And his father... You know, Goku is like in the ghost form and he's coaching him and he's fighting Cell like one arm is broken. And so he has to, you know, use his remaining arm to fight off Cell and his father is telling him, you know, and and not in the ghost form, he was like in in astral form, Mm -hmm. telling him that I believe in you, Gohan, I believe you can do it, I believe you can destroy Cell. And then it freaking happens. And Cell is destroyed, and it is such a wonderful spiritual moment of good defeating evil. Mm-hmm. And I watched that episode, and it was such a great animation anime moment. I just got all emotional, and I just started crying. I'm like, oh my gosh, that was like the best episode mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean, you know, like a show that can deliver that type of heart. You don't see storytelling like that every day. You don't. You really you don't. don't, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, and it caught me by surprise because I was just watching, you know, to see what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect to have that type of an emotional response. Yeah. It, but it was there. It happened, you know? And yeah. it caught me by surprise. But I never I never looked at anime the same again after that experience. Nice. Yeah, that, that, was, um, that was always the thing with anime. It was the stories and the way that they develop the characters and just watching everything unfold, it it gets you. It gets you. Uh Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired their personal trainer as a caterer. All right, folks, let's keep this line moving. You there with the tongs. Picking up one Duchess potato at a time will not cut it at my catering table. Drop and give me 50. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Okay, this is what we call the wild mushroom and asparagus dip, dip, and press. Come on, let's get those plates above your heads. For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. You coming to bed, hon? Yep, honey, I'll be right there. Just got to turn out the light. Ow! Ow! Some things never change. Like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. P- please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Um, You know, Sailor Moon, I got hooked in when... Um, I, th- I want to say by... By the time the other Sailor Scouts started rolling in, yeah. uh, that's mm-hmm. when I really started getting hooked in and I started taking the show, you know, seriously. Because as a teenager, and I'm seeing this, you know, in the morning before I have to jet off, you know, the attention, the attention span just wasn't there. It was like, okay, I'm watching it, but I'm also, you know, running around. You know, I got that playing in the background. I'm, you know, getting ready for school. So when I was able to really sit down and watch those episodes, you know, it was it was definitely different. And to see, um, you know, great battles happen with characters, uh, it was different from what I was so used to. Uh, I think the show that actually 
really changed the way I looked at anything that was, you know, on the mornings. Uh, it was Fist of the North Star, but of course that was also a VHS thing. Wasn't it going to get Fist? I, I wish I'd be able to turn on TV in the morning and get Fist of the North Star. But um, only in Japan at that time, right? Yeah, Japan there was no time. way. There. there was no way. I remember my dad uh, recording all the VHS tapes that I, I borrowed from my friend, and he's like, "What is this?" And I was like, "It's Fist of the North Star." He was like, "Son, a man's head exploded. What is this?" <laughs> I was like, "Anime." So, but then he started watching. He started watching the stuff with me, and he he just had the same reaction. He was like, "Okay, these are some real awesome stories." Or I'm mm-hmm. not going to say how he said it. But, right, <laughs> paraphrasing. Of course. Got, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, but he really he really got into it. So I mean, um, that's what I noticed with. Um, shows today now we are admittedly getting that with steven universe because i think steven universe is really trying to you know it grips its fans oh very much so you know it grips its fans with anything they can stuff they can relate to uh also with story content and i think some shows are starting to do that now it's just that i think also in that same regard anime for us in that early days was that eye opener that says hey you know what you're watching something that could be thought of as a saturday morning cartoon and it can go further. And then that's when you start learning, okay, this is anime. Okay, you know, these right. characters are fighting some serious battles. Okay, you know what? Somebody's getting roughed up really bad. It's not, okay, your plan is foiled, which we saw in a lot of early day um, cartoons. You know, uh, Mark, you made a really great uh, point in your book how at one point they were trying to really shift the dynamic. So it was really more the plans getting foiled and less of the bad guy getting beat up. Right, right. And so, you know, a lot of that happened. And so I think um, the 1967 television season to me is is like one of the, probably one of the most violent Saturday morning television seasons ever. There hasn't been anything like that before or since. Because in 1966, when Superman became this huge hit, it created the first programming trend. You know, prior to 1966, there were no programming trends. There wasn't a lot of strategy uh, regarding programming, what the networks put on their air. In fact, you had, like, so for a nighttime series like The Jetsons or Johnny Quest or Top Cat didn't do well in prime time, they ended up on Saturday morning. So Saturday morning was the dumping ground. But uh-huh. in 1966, when Superman sort of became this huge hit, it created the first trend. And then, as I mentioned before, you know, you had your first, Fantastic Four and Spider-Man series. Mm-hmm. You had um, uh, the Herculoids and Moby Dick and Mitor and Shazam on CBS. You had Birdman and uh, Samson and Goliath on NBC. So you had like this influx of superhero shows. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the villains didn't make it in the end. I mean, there's a Superman episode where, you know, the Parasite, which also is the villain that shows up in the comic book. I mean, the Parasite absorbs Superman's powers and then he explodes at the end. And Superman says, well, that's what he gets for trying to absorb uh, the powers of a man from Krypton. And the police officer is just looking at him like, all right, if that's what you say. <laughs> but there were a lot of instances like that. And so there was there was the superhero backlash that took place the following season when you had Christian groups and parents groups complaining about the amount of violence that was on Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every night the Vietnam War was also being telecast. So, yeah. you know, there was just too much violence happening. Mm. And the Vietnam War thing, you know, that was the first time that the war was actually televised every night because in the 1950s, you know, the technology didn't exist to broadcast any type of war. Mm -hmm. And so that was an experiment that happened that never happened again. Um, And so by the time the 70s roll around and the super friends show up, Mm -hmm. they're there, but they are not allowed to throw any punches. And so now animators and, and writers have to come up with new and exciting ways to keep the kids watching without, you know, um, without the, the superheroes uh, throwing a punch. Mm-hmm. Um, if you guys are fans of Thunder Barbarian, uh, yes. that's like one of my favorite shows from the 80s. Yes. The, the writers on that show, 
they do a phenomenal job of coming up with really great action sequences where no one ever, there's no fighting, there's no throwing villains around. Um, and it's a good example of good writers using their imagination to keep the, you know, kids watching without the villain ever having to throw a punch. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, unfortunately, uh, that was the challenge in the 70s and 80s. And I feel like in the 1990s, when, you know, the X-Men and Batman the animated series came rolling around, all of a sudden, superheroes were allowed to start punching people again. <laughs> yeah. Right, in the intro. In the intro. Yeah, right uh-huh. in, Like right there. They And they wanted to make sure you knew that's what was happening. <laughs> right, right. You know, so I love that. I love that. Um, so, yeah. Um, but for a long time, it was a dry spell. You know, you would even have a show like Battle of the Planets, which oh, showed nice. up in the late 70s. And supposedly there was a lot of editing for that one, too. Um, you know, uh, the original title, I believe, was uh, Gotcha Man. Yes, it was. Science and, Ninja Teen Gotcha Man. Yeah. And, um, and that show kind of, you know, because it wasn't on the network, you know, they were allowed to be violent and, and throw punches and everything. And, and it was kind of cool. And I think that's what made that show very popular was because it was one of the few shows you can see during that era where you actually saw people, you know, <laughs> punching and fighting and throwing things around. And, but you know, the show itself was great Definitely. considering all of the editing, the heavy duty editing that went into that series. Definitely. You know, if you see all the original Gotcha man and battle of the planet, you wouldn't even think it was the same show. So, um, but, uh, um, the American version, I think, is is still very good and, and still holds up, though, in spite of. But I think what helped e- even a show like Battle of the Planets, you know, be successful was because um, it had the action that kids wanted to see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that and that was that. And you bring up a good point. The editing, um, being able to still maintain uh, everything that makes the show great. You know that that's a huge feat. So if you're able to edit the show uh, and still present something that kids are going to watch, the audience is going to love. You know that's important. Uh, we definitely going to take oh, yeah. a break. But uh, Mark, um, you know what? You bring up an interesting point, and I would like to just when we come back, uh, if you don't mind, I would like to go through the process of how um, you know Adult Swim, for example, how it goes to actually acquire some of these shows now because that would be a real in-depth thing for our audience. I think everybody would enjoy learning about that. Okay. Yeah, sure. Awesome. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back. You're listening to an official Anime Rest Stop podcast. Please like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And as always, if you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating. We appreciate you. Because I'm sure, Mark, you've Go seen ahead. a fair share of uh, you've seen a fair share of spots where acquisitions um, have occurred with uh, with programming, and in particular for those listening for anime, and you'll see something that works and stuff that doesn't work. And you know, but for those who you know, because the fandom fandoms differ in spots, because there's things that are really good, and then there are things that are popular, and then there are things that are popular but also sell. Um, could you elaborate on that for us? Yeah, so, um, all right. And so earlier, you know, I talked about, you know, you have to follow the trends. And so when it comes to acquisitions, of course, you know, um, all networks want to be able to follow the trends and, and be able to make the right decisions acquisition-wise, what they think is going to be a good fit. Um, in terms of programming and ratings and cost. And so sometimes a show that in your gut you think is going to do really well or maybe a great companion show for something that you have anime-wise on your network, you know, might fizzle out. And then a show that you didn't, you know, you might have gotten for a good price, but you weren't sure how it was going to do ratings-wise, that show might become the big hit. And so sometimes um, it's, it's, it's a little tricky 
<laughs> figuring out like what's going to resonate with with fans and ratings and what isn't. And if it's a show that it, that you're doing from scratch, you know that you're putting money into the production and it, the ratings don't resonate, then a network has to make a decision whether or not to keep the show going or to cancel it. So for example, um, advertising pays the bills for most networks, mm-hmm. all right? And so networks, advertisers pay networks so in order to get their product on the air. The money generated from advertising helps create budgets for the television shows. And once those budgets are created, um, you still need advertising. Advertising still plays a role. And so if an advertiser is paying a certain cost for their their advertisement to be in a highly rated show, and that show does not deliver, then that means the network is losing money and the advertiser is pissed. And so, you know, you have to make additional deals, what they call make goods, um, to give that advertiser's product another chance and another show for a discounted rate. And so all of that kind of ties in. When you have cable television or uh, satellite, um, there's added value because there is also, you know, these networks are subscription-based. And so some of that money also goes into helping create some of the television shows. But, you know, budgets for television are are pretty expensive, Mm -hmm. and they go up exponentially every year. And uh, so still, a network still has to carve out enough of that money to get more bang for their buck, money for advertise, I mean, money for acquisitions and money for, um, and budgets for original productions. And so all that, you know, sort of ties into um, decisions of whether a show stays on the air or whether a show gets canceled. And then sometimes, uh, especially with a lot of the cable and broadcast, if you have two shows that are on the, on the bubble ratings wise, if the network owns one show or the other, guess what? <laughs> the network show is going to get renewed, and the show that they don't own, the acquisition or the co-production, might get canceled. So that's another trend that I've seen over the years, and that goes way back to the 1990s when networks actually started taking more of an ownership stake in uh, some of the shows or programming that they wanted to invest in. And so when it came time for renewals, a lot of times um, this, the programming that the networks did not own usually got the ax. That's a very... Because very from a business standpoint, it was just, you know, better to keep the show that you own than the show that you don't own and they're both doing the same rating. Mm-hmm. Very well said, sir. Uh, sorry to interject, but you made an excellent point. Because uh, as you've seen it in the past, you've experienced it in the past uh, through your experience. And uh, essentially, we've seen um, you know that trend reflect in modern day as the streaming wars are more prevalent amongst uh, those of the OTT services. Uh, right. Those of uh, the seems to be the name of the game is exclusive um, material, right. stuff they can own, mm-hmm. stuff they can promote, stuff that is essentially theirs, at least as far as majority ownership. Yeah. Um, so as it relates to just aspects of that, um, and looking at Adult Swim and where it fits in the ether, Adult Swim's vision and mission, does that still remain the same going forward with everything and all the challenges with all the new players? Um, I'm not exactly sure. Because, um, you know, like I said earlier, you know, our network has a really good relationship with some of the creators and and a lot of the Japanese studios. And some of those Japanese studios definitely want to work with us. Um, And some of those might be exclusive deals. But, you know, we, we, I, I guess, I guess the easiest way to put it is that, you know, as a network, we're a lot more flexible and, um, Right now, uh, I can't say from a business point of view if we're having like 
Hardline talks about, well, we need this show to be an, an exclusive on Adult Swim. You know, um, I, 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 I'm not exactly sure that is our strategy. And again, I'm not usually in the room when some of these negotiations happen. And um, I know like years ago, like I said, when we lost that one acquisition, there was, you know, definitely some frustration in the room. And, um, and if anything, it just made our network, you know, be a lot more aggressive with uh, reinforcing a lot of those, you know, a studio Japanese connections. But I can't say clearly if, you know, looking in the future and looking at all the streaming wars, if it's actually having an impact because, you know, we have a, a Saturday night that features anime, but the rest of the schedule are originals, adults from originals and some, you know, acquisitions from other networks. And so there isn't, um, I don't, I, 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 what I can't say is that I believe that there are certain type of anime shows that adults Swim is interested in and that our competition might not be interested in those particular shows. And so I believe because that we're looking for a certain type of anime show, um, it doesn't impact us as much, you know, in terms of the streaming wars. You know, I think because we've had a long relationship with, you know, the Japanese studios and um, the anime studios that produced a lot of the original content, um, it gives Adult Swim some advantages in terms of what they want. And I feel like some of the streaming services may not necessarily... <laughs> <laughs> Not to say anything terrible about them, but I, the impression I get is that sometimes they're looking for something that looks cool, but yeah. it may not necessarily resonate with fans, and, yeah. it, and it's an exclusive. Um, and I've seen some of the competition on the other platforms, and I'll be honest, I wasn't necessarily impressed or blown away. But to answer your question, sir... I don't think that um, as of right now, it's actually the streaming wars and exclusives are having an impact on Adult Swim because we sort of know what we want in terms of anime and we're not necessarily, you know, chasing a show because we think our competition is going to get it or grab it. You know what I mean? It's, it's more like... Um, Here's something that we might know about or, or want that actually fits Tanami, yeah, yeah, as opposed to um, something that's new and brand new and shiny that might be airing on a, on a different platform. Yeah, yeah, if that makes sense. No, that makes sense. Yeah, that's that's perfect. Um, uh, and uh, also, you said, and I just uh, really want to reiterate this point is because you, uh, you know, your network literally makes its presence known at different conventions and you interact with the fans. So that's one thing I don't see Netflix or like Hulu doing. Now Crunchyroll, Crunchyroll does, admittedly, but that's mm -hmm. their bag. Um but right. you know, for you know, Cartoon Network, you know, Adult Swim, it's like, well, you know what? We're at Momocon. And we know fans are going to be there. We got something awesome we want to show them. So you're being more active in the community instead of just sitting back and saying, well, you know what? We're hearing good things about this show. Let's get it. Um, you right. know, whereas, you know, Netflix, you know, the, the competition, you know, that may be more their speed. They would say, okay, well, who in here in the boardroom watches anime? Okay, what's everybody talking about? You know, or right. better yet, they'll say, well, you know what, this is a manga that nobody has animated yet. Let's get that. Whereas, you know, Dull Swim is like, well, you know what, this show is pretty cool. It looks cool, but it also fits our brand. You know, let's mm -hmm. bring it over. And you, you do the you do the, the checks and balances that's gonna make it viable for the network. But then you also look at the, the standpoint and say, Well, our fans gonna really enjoy it. What's the fan base thinking about it right now? So you look at both right. ends instead of just looking at the money aspect 
And I think that's a brilliant thing. And I, I love that about Adult Swim. Um, I was really I was really touched to see a lot of the shows uh, now, like One Punch. I was touched to see that Demon Slayer. Uh, and all these different series, you know, be, you know, on Adult Swim, I'm like, man, this is awesome. Because at any point in time, we were talking about it earlier, at any point in time, we can cancel a subscription. You know what I mean? We can cancel a subscription to some of the services. We, we were up here, like, name blasting them. <laughs> but we could cancel a subscription. And still, we got Adult Swim. You know, um, admittedly, the only time I even turn around and look at some of them is when they got something I want. Once that's done, it's like, okay, I'm going to keep my money because mm-hmm. I can go to Chipotle yeah. with yeah. that money. <laughs> so, so, no. Yeah, uh, I get it. Yeah. I get it. And, and you know, the other thing, um, you know, to answer uh, the early question, too, um, I feel like Adult Swim Strategy is more about putting our budget into something original like because you know adult swim is known as as a comedy brand and yes. so you know that 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 pays off you know that's our bed you know our bread and butter you know and so i feel like that's a bigger priority perhaps more so than you know that next anime hit and i also feel like um that i'm thinking about the question a little bit more I also feel like the OTT services and the streaming wars, they seem to want to make something brand new um, as opposed to, you know, digging in, you know, the library of an anime studio and, you know, getting the acquisition mm. for that particular uh, series. That's that's what I see too. Is also reason why Adult Swim <laughs> is not necessarily you know being affected you know by the streaming wars. But you know, again, I'm not sitting in the room. I keep emphasizing that. <laughs> no, no, you're you're good. <laughs> but it's it's just what I think is happening. I actually, you know? um, and 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 that's not to say that Adult Swim wouldn't you know create a show from scratch that's anime style either. You know, that's always a possibility. Um, but, um, I feel like that's, that's just another difference between Adult Swim versus, uh, some of the other networks and acquisitions versus original productions. Mm. So, and you guys can edit all this stuff. <laughs> You're, <laughs> fine. You're, fine. You're fine. Look, You're one fine. of my, oh, like one of my uh, friends, I want him to actually <laughs> tell you himself. Cause I think this is awesome. Uh, I just mm-hmm. want to let you know that I can't. I canceled an entire television service just for uh, Cartoon Network and Adult Swim. So that's how important you guys are. Oh, wow. That is see. awesome, man. I love the history. Yeah, see. That's and, great. And, you know, and everyone everyone in the room, basically, you know, we we basically grew up with, you know, Adult Swim. We were watching Adult Swim. And when we heard of series hitting Adult Swim, we were on it. Um, everything from Cowboy Bebop to Squid Billy's Aqua Teen Hunger Force, you name it. Um, and I'm, I'm gonna tell you, like, I was a huge fan of Space Ghost Coast to Coast. You know, I love that. That that was, I didn't wear watch late night talk shows, but Space Ghost, absolutely. Um, and my friend, and um, you know, my friend just pointed out because he was uh, looking at your uh, your book. Um, this week in cartoons, hosted by Seth MacFarlane. That's what that's what did it for you, Devin. Oh, that's what. That, that's 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 what that's what sold him uh, completely. So you know, we got a lot of love for um, you know what you do, Adult Swim. Uh, I'm going to. I'm thinking, Chris. We need to make sure we get to MomoCon, so uh-huh. you know we can be a part of that action. Like I would not mind going to MomoCon next year just so we can see these things in the works because here on the East Coast, you know, we're missing out on that. So we we, we got to figure a way to get you guys up to the East Coast, you know. Or us come down there. Or we got to come down yeah, there. Or, or I come up there, you know. We, oh, we can you know well, Otakon is, is next year, so, you know, I'll keep you posted. I'll, I'll keep All you right, posted. definitely do that. But, uh, Mark, we definitely want to th- uh, thank you for taking time to talk with us today. Uh, it's been an enjoyable show. You know, we, we're going to do some editing because 
technical <laughs> thing. So we shout we shout out to yeah, everybody that that's listening. Yeah, but no, but uh, I also thank you for just being gracious and just kind of running it back with us. Uh, but this has really been a lot of fun, folks. We just want you to make sure you check out Mark's book, The Best Saturdays of Our Lives. You can hit up his website. We'll have a link in the description. Definitely get your hands on this book. It's a lot of great information. You want to understand how cartoons it became. Uh, very networks became very competitive with cartoons. It's the best source you could get. Um, just a lot of great information there. I want to thank you again, Mark, for joining us. It's been a pleasure, man. We love you. Yeah, yeah, it's been awesome. Thank you so much for having me on the show and talking cartoons and promoting my book. It's it's been a blast. Oh, we enjoy it, and we're gonna make sure everybody gets this book. Okay, you know what I'm thinking? Maybe, maybe we might have to get a copy. We could just give somebody a, a chance to win one. That's one of our graphics. Awesome. Sounds That's like cool. a plan. Yeah. Sounds like a plan. Yeah, we'll 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 definitely work on it. But thanks again, Mark. We appreciate you. Uh, any yeah. any quick announcements you want to make? Or are we good? Uh, we're good. We're good. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. No problem. We thank everybody for listening. This has been the official. ARS podcast, the ARS 45. Listen to the first episode. Make sure you follow us on Apple Podcasts. You love what you're hearing. Give us a five star rating. You follow us on Spotify. Make sure you're doing that. Also, don't forget to check out Mark's website because he'll have a lot of great information. You can order his book and also check out other things he's a part of. And also, I know you folks out there watch Adult Swim, so make sure you show them some extra love today. Definitely do it. Show love every day so we can keep getting those shows when certain streaming services crash. <laughs> you know, who adult adult swim is still swinging. Look, look, Mark. You can say, "Hey, I was Mark was not associated with that statement. That was me." <laughs> don't want nobody, don't want nobody coming for adult swim. Like, what you say about us? <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but no, we thank you. we thank you again. We love everybody, at adult swim, and for what y'all do, we really appreciate you. The anime community appreciates you. <laughs> I meant to mention earlier, you know, while we were taking one of the breaks, I was trying to think of that thing, The Death of Superman. You know, it's one of the chapters in my book, um, but uh, it was like, I just remember it just, it, they didn't have the expression at the time, but that was really a tentpole event for a comic book series, you know, because um, even you even had non-comic book people into The Death of Superman and buying the comic book. And, um, you know, so you can buy the comic book, you know, so you can read it and then you can buy a sealed copy of it as well. That would never be open that you can probably sell at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I remember buying both and I bought one of the comic books for a friend and she actually complained that her son also wanted a sealed copy. And I just looked at her like, well, you better go get this, your son a sealed copy because I did my due diligence and got you a exactly. copy of the book. And if you wanted a sealed copy, you should have said so. Very much so. Definitely. Oh, which <laughs> but just the whole hype behind it and the fact, like the comic book store I was in, CNN was there covering the story. Oh, wow. And I just remember trying to hide from the camera because I was supposed to be at work. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, no. See, we might have to edit that out because we're recording. <laughs> oh, that's fine. You can keep that. Okay. We'll get it in post. You can post. keep that. It, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't for the job I'm working at now. Okay. So, oh, okay. You know, it was it was another job you know I worked that, at, you know that doesn't bo- exist anymore. You know, you know, oh. that, you know that boardroom com- that conversation? Like, you didn't get us one. That's what it was. Would have been probably. Oh yeah, <laughs> it wouldn't have been. You must have worked. No, it would been like, where's ours? Right. <laughs> I just didn't want someone from work to be like, well, what were you doing there at that time? And you know. Oh so yeah. I'm pretty sure I had someone at work covering for me, but uh, oh. I had to go get my Death of Superman comic book. And then um, someone online was saying, you know, while we were waiting to buy the book, not online, like you know, Google online, but just being online to make our purchase. I remember the guy standing behind me said, Oh yeah, they'll probably bring him back in a couple of months. And he, and, and he had a, um, a death stroke comic book and he goes, look at death stroke. They kill him off and bring him back a hundred times. He goes, they'll probably do the same thing with Superman. <laughs> and, and of course he was right. Yeah. <laughs> Showed up with the, uh, with the, uh, the mullet. Showed, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, the long hair. Good times. Good times. Definitely. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But, but, so, anyway. But that's like one of the few comic book chapters that actually made it in the book. 
I can tell you, being a, a comic book lover, uh, I'm more of I'm more of a casual one, I think. But even as a kid, I knew like having something sealed, how special that was, and you wasn't trying to open that for nobody. If you had to get your copy, that was it. Somebody wanted you to get back in line for them. That's a whole different discussion. It was a snooze you lose fest, <laughs> and that's how it still is. It still is today. You know, if I order a figure, it's like, listen, I'm, I'm making a call now. If you want one, get in on it, because once it's ordered, that's it. <laughs> right. But definitely thank you for uh, chatting with us today. We really appreciate you. We can't wait to share this episode with everybody. We just want to thank you again. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Thank you. Anytime. And uh, you guys, um, you know, you guys have a, a great afternoon. And again, if, if there's a question that you want to ask me again, or if you need a pickup line, uh, just email me and let me know. We could arrange that as well. You got us. Right. Will Absolutely, do. Okay. Thank you so much, Mark. Right. You have a good cool. day. Definitely. All right. You too. Thank, Thank you. you. You're welcome, sir. All right. You coming to bed, hon? Yep. Honey, I'll be right there. Just got to turn out the light. Ow. Ow. Some things never change. Like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. Please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.